0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. You can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is our text today. And while you're turning there, you know it's a a real privilege increasingly to open up God's Word really around the world in different churches. But man, there's something that's really sweet about opening up God's Word with you all this morning, a church plant out of our church. It's like being at home amongst our people. And it's listen, it's a privilege for me this morning um, to open up God's Word and teach it this morning with you all. And listen, these stories that we tell of the mission field, they're good. But man, there's nothing better than God's word being opened up and spoken over us. And so I, I pray with anticipation this morning um, that you've come prepared just for that. So Acts chapter 1 is our text. I'm going to stop and pray and ask the Lord to help. And so Father, would you put your power on display this morning in your church, amongst your people. And Father, as we open up your word, Father, would you remind us of the things that happened in the past and the things that are still happening today. Father, for those who've come into church this morning, Father, who are weary and heavy laden, Father, would you give them rest for their soul this morning, Father? That the opening of your word and the preaching of your word, Father, would be a warm blanket to their hearts. Father, that it would be a, a cold glass of water to their souls, Father. God, for us who are, are weary, for us who Father, look back over the past week and we see maybe failure. Father, we see sin popping up its ugly head again. Oh, Father, help us to be people who repent. Father, help us to be people who look around our neighborhoods and declare your goodness where you've placed us. Father, so help us to learn right now, we pray. And we pray this in the beautiful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The title of today's message is simply this, Mission, The King's Witness to the World. That's our mission. If you're wondering what you're supposed to do in life, here it is. The King's Witness to the World. Let me set up our passage here, Acts chapter 1. It's a bridge in Luke's writing. Luke wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke, and then after that he wrote Acts. And what we're happening, what we're seeing right here is a hinge point. What we're seeing is all the things that the Holy Spirit did in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then what we're about to see is all the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the ministry of the disciples, and then us afterwards. So we're seeing this hinging point in Scripture. When Jesus spoke, the words we're about to read, his followers found themselves on the, the Mount of Olives. It's about 40 days after Christ's death and resurrection. And listen, the men who are hearing these words out of the mouth of Jesus They had been a witness to all that Jesus had done in his ministry on earth. Listen, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. They heard with their own ears the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. They would have been there when the great commission was given, as recorded in Matthew 28, to go to all the nations and make disciples and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And listen, 10 days before this event is taken, just 10 days prior, they'd heard Jesus tell them not to go anywhere, that he was sending the promise of his father upon them. He said, stay into the city until you your clothes with power from on high. Listen, these are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he's about to leave. Jesus is about to give one final instruction before he ascends, and our ears should be perked. What is Jesus about to say? Let's read it together, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, of course, this is the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they're looking for an earthly king here. And Jesus says, don't worry about that right now. He says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the time or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And here's our verse for today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Church, right here, we find our mission. Our mission is to be the king's witness to the world. And I want you to see this morning three implications from this one verse that I want to highlight. And what I want you to see here is the witnessing part of that. If that's not highlighted in your Bible, I encourage you to take a pen, underline witness in this passage. You know, the dictionary defines a witness as someone who gives an attestation to a fact or an event. We think of a witness as someone who stands up in a courtroom, who gives a testimony to something that they've seen or that they've, A herd. And it's exactly what Jesus is commanding his disciples right here to do. He's commanding them to be a witness. But before he does that, he gives us this beautiful, amazing promise. The promise is this. First point this morning. Point number one. My witness is Holy Spirit powered. That's what I want you to see this morning, that my witness, my witness, your witness, I want to make this personal for us this morning. My witness is Holy Spirit powered. That's the promise that Jesus doesn't just give to his disciples here. He gives it to every believer after this moment for the last 2,000 years. That's the promise. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is who he says he is, if you've had the Holy Spirit indwell you from then on in, you will be my witness. That's his command. So here's what we learn from, from this part of the verse, that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that fuels our gospel witness. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that fuels prayer in our life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us fight sin and temptation. And listen, it spurs on confession of sin and the desire to be more Christ-like. It's The, the power of the Holy Spirit in us that does that. Here's a stunning fact this morning. Here's a stunning fact. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. Zero. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, as recorded in John six sixty-three. That's a stunning fact. We can do nothing outside of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. You want to know another stunning fact? that will blow your mind this morning? Jesus Christ, in his ministry, did nothing outside of the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Do you believe me? Let me prove it to you from Scripture this morning. Keep one finger in Acts chapter 1, then flip back to Luke. Luke chapter 4. Turn with me there. I want to hear your Bibles turning. I want you to see this from Scripture. I want you to see this in your own Bibles this morning. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 4. Let me turn there as well. Luke chapter 4. This is about three years back in time now. We're going from the end of Jesus' ministry to the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And I want you to see an astounding thing here as the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus in his baptism as it's recorded in Luke chapter 3. And then in Luke 4, you guys there? Luke 4? Here's what Luke records for us. And Jesus, what does it say there? Full of the Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So it's the Spirit that is fueling him, is empowering him to fight off sin and temptation and the wily whales, whales of, the, of the enemy here. And then once he's able to fight Satan off in the desert, now he's going to begin his ministry as it says in Uh, Verse 14, that's what it says. and And Jesus returned, what does it say? In the power of the Spirit. It's almost like Luke wants us to know that, hey, Jesus did these things in the power of the Spirit. So now Jesus is going to start his ministry. He's returning to his hometown. He's in Nazareth, his home church. Imagine what that would have been like to see, you know, the young boy, Jesus, raised up. And now he's coming into his synagogue. Let me read it for us. Verse 16 says this, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Look what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The first words out of Christ's mouth and his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That is absolutely fascinating. Think about what's happening here, church. The word picked up the word and read the word. I mean, Jesus is the word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and as he reads it, he's fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy of Isaiah. The first words out of his mouth are, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Just consider what Jesus is saying here. Listen, he could have walked into the synagogue and said, I am the king of the world. At my command, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I am the Messiah King. He could have said that. He would have been within his right to say that. But he doesn't. He walks in and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why does he say that? Because Jesus is fully God and fully man. In Philippians 2, verse 6, up on the screen for you, says this, though he was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, you see the humility here in Christ, the form of a servant, just like you and I in human flesh, Listen, Jesus doesn't use his power as king, but just like you and I, and just like the disciples in Acts 1.8, Jesus declares that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. So what do we draw from this? That Christ, all that Christ did in his ministry, listen, all the miracles, all the teaching, all the healing, all the love that he showed, all of the perfectly sustaining from sin all of the torture he endured, the suffering, his death, his glorious resurrection, all of it done by the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. Now let's look what his mission was. Luke 4.18, the power of the Lord is upon me. Now that we know that, here's Jesus' mission, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight of the blight and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That right there is Christ's mission at the start of his ministry. What's our mission? mission? To be a witness of that. To be a witness, just like the disciples, of all the things that Jesus said, the good news of Jesus Christ. Theologian Robert Stein made this observation, I thought this was so helpful, by a man infinitely smarter than me, wrote this, the concluding summary emphasizes that Jesus' entire future ministry is to be understood as taking place in the power of the Spirit. That's so helpful. What I wanted you to see this morning here is the beautiful bookends of Jesus' ministry, where he starts with Declaring the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, and he ends his ministry by saying, "Now that same power is about to be on you." It's an astounding promise to us as followers of Jesus Christ, loved one. Consider this: the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us in our witness. That's amazing. I want you to see that this morning. I want you to see that promise. Now, secondly, I want you to see this from our text. Turn back to Acts chapter 1, the second part of verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, comma, to do what? Well, to be my witness. My witness is Christ commissioned. That's our second point. My witness is Christ commissioned. Notice the imperative here. You will be my witness. Not if you feel like it. Not if you have the gift of evangelism. Not if you just feel the calling to be a missionary or a pastor or an elder. Listen, for all of us, the imperative is, you will be my witness. Now, some of you might be aware that Acts 1.8 here is one of five passages that is a great commission text. Each One of the writers of the Gospels had their similar text that they recorded the words of Jesus. And I thought it'd be really helpful for us this morning to look at the other four of them as well. Each Gospel writer recorded commissioning verses. We should look, of course, at the great commission that we find in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, up on the screen for you. Let me read it. It says this. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is Matthew emphasizing here? There's a a dynamic at play between the, the going and the making of disciples. And in English, they're both action words. It looks like it's, what do we go or are we making disciples? Which one are we doing? In the original Greek, the emphasis is on the making disciples. Matthew is emphasizing here that our job, our job is to make disciples. And then when we see that happen, we're baptizing them. And then we're teaching them. What we see here is the centrality of the church. All of these things happen in a church. We baptize in the church. We teach in the church. We make disciples in the church. This is why missions comes outside of the church. It comes from the church. It's the church who sends out missionaries. It's the churches who raises up disciples. It's the churches who raises up other pastors who can then go and plant other churches in their area. It happens within the context of the church. Matthew is very helpful for us to give us those parameters. That's why it's the Great Commission. So Matthew said that, but Mark also has an account. Matthew, Mark, as we work through the Gospels. Now on the screen for you, Mark's account. In Mark 16, 15 to 18, at the end of his gospel, he wrote this, and he said to them, this of course is Jesus, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, all the world, the whole creation. And very simply, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark gets right to the point. Go to all the world, proclaim the gospel. Those who believe will be saved. Those who don't believe will be condemned. It's that simple. But Mark here is emphasizing the proclamation of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is one that must be proclaimed. We have to orate it, we have to herald it. It's got to be verbal. So many times I've heard this dumb saying that goes something like this share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Church, that's wrong. That's wrong. Listen, faith comes from hearing the word of God. We we have a gospel that must be spoken. We have to to sit people down and and help them understand the gospel. We have to sit with people and work through the pages of Scripture and, and point them and proclaim to them, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a message that has to be proclaimed. It is spoken. We're giving a testimony, a witness, an eye account of salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. Mark highlights the verbal proclamation of the gospel. And then Luke, so Matthew, Mark, Luke now. Let me read it for you. Luke 24, verses 45 to 49. Luke is robust here in his writing. He says this, Then he, and the he here is Jesus, then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. There's that word again. To, in his name, to where? All the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses. There's our word again. Witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit. But stay into the city and to your clothes with power from on high. This was 10 days before Acts 1, 8, when this was recorded. And Luke, listen, Luke highlights repentance and forgiveness that is available. That is the nucleus of the the gospel. It's repentance and forgiveness is what we proclaim to those who need it. This is the gospel message that God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it perfectly. He created all of life, and then he breathed life into Adam and to Eve, and it was perfect. And he gave them one command, don't eat from this tree. And that one command was too much for them. They disobeyed. And immediately in Genesis chapter 3, as it's recorded, the curse of sin falls on them, and they are aware that death is coming. Listen, it says in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the good news. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the gospel. That's what Luke is emphasizing here, that repentance and forgiveness of sin has to be proclaimed in the church to all the nations and to all of our neighborhoods. This is the good news. And if you understand this, You've experienced that good news, have you not, believer in Christ? Remember the day when God saved you? Remember the day when you were filled with power from the Holy Spirit? Do you remember when you couldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ because it had radically changed your life? That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. It fuels you to be a witness for him. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now finally John. What did John write for us in his commissioning text up on the screen for you? John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Loved ones, we worship a sending God. A God who says, Go. A God who says, Get off the couch. Get into your neighborhood. We worship A God who is commanding us to get into our workplaces. That's the the going aspect. There, There is a getting up of the couch. Listen. God's word is so clear to us here. Even in John. Go. Peace is with you. I am with you. And even so, I am sending you. We serve a sending God. So let's just pause here. For a second, take inventory of what we have learned so far. We've learned that it's the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness and power to be His witness. And then we've learned that all believers of all time have been commissioned by Christ to be a witness of this gospel message. Those are two things that we've seen so far in Acts one Verse 8, and I want to see you finally now, this third thing I want you to see, this third observation from the text. My witness is God's plan to reach the world. My witness is God's plan to reach the world. You see the Trinity even buried into this text here? Jesus is speaking. He's saying the Holy Spirit is coming uh, uh, upon us. He's also saying that, wait, my Father has fixed by his own authority. We're seeing the Trinity in the passage here. We're seeing it in the outline as well. But what we need to see here is my witness is God's plan to reach the world. Listen, you and I are God's plan to reach the world. We learn now in this last part, read it with me. We'll start again in verse 8. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness. Well, to where? Well, in Jerusalem. And in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the intentional pattern here in scripture? Jerusalem is the city that they're currently in. In our case, that would be Etobicoke. We're in Etobicoke, right? Toronto West? Yeah, okay, good. We're in Etobicoke, right? So then the, the next sphere out from that, so would be uh, Jerusalem and then into Samaria. Samaria would be the next, re- the next region out. Sorry, not Samaria. What I mean there's Judea. Judea would be like Southern Ontario. Listen, our job is first to reach within our own neighborhoods here. And then also to consider what Southern Ontario looks like. And then from there, uh, Samaria. Samaria would be um, categorized as people that are of a different culture. So Samaria were not ethnic Jews in these days. These were people of a a different culture, a different religious background. And what would have been astounding to the disciples here is that, wait a second, the Holy Spirit, we we, we understand that would be for the Jews, but what are you saying? It's also for the Gentiles? And then we know from the pages of Scripture in Acts, that from Acts 2 onwards, what happens? We see the Holy Spirit moving in power, first in Jerusalem, and then later on in Acts, then in Samaria, all of a sudden Gentiles start getting saved, and then from there to the ends of the world... So Luke here is intentional, intentionally showing us a pattern, a pattern for us to model after in our own lives, but also a pattern of how the rest of Acts is written, as you can see the power of the Holy Spirit going out and it's multiplying, and churches are being planted. It's a fantastic and wonderful, wonderful book to see what happens when people get fired up with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's mind blowing both Jew and Gentile getting saved. So let's stop and ask ourselves and apply this text, what does this mean for me today? What does this mean for me? As I'm reading this, what does this mean? Church, we're all called to be the king's witness to the ends of the earth. Every follower of Jesus Christ has a part to play in that. We are God's plan to reach the nations. Every true follower of Jesus Christ in this church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, we are the king's messenger. So let me ask you, how's that going? Like as you take inventory of your life right now, if you take inventory of your circle of influence in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your school, let me ask you, how is that witness going? Who within your circle desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? And you are the one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to that. Who in your neighborhood needs to hear? Have you considered that God has placed you in your neighborhood specifically for that task, you ever thought about that you could be the only Christian in your neighborhood you could be the only Christian in your apartment building if you considered the weight of that as a believer that is your responsibility then to be a witness to those people who are around you in your Jerusalem, so to speak listen we we really desperately need missionaries okay let me say that we need missionaries who are willing to go to the ends of the world but I'm telling you right now, it's a very, very hard assignment. And to be frank, most of you, myself included, I'm not cut out for that. I'm not rowing a boat for seven hours and then rowing upstream for another five hours. I'm too old for that. I'm going to be a grandpa. Like, we need young men and women who are signing up for that task. It's a very, very difficult task. But I can just tell you right now not everyone is a missionary. Not everyone is a missionary. I'm gonna give you a definition of a missionary just so we know the difference here, okay? Definition up on the screen. This is by Andy Johnson. Wrote a wonderful book called Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global. Highly recommended. It's from the Nine Mark series. He wrote this. A missionary is one who's sent by God and the church to cross ethnic, linguistic, geographic, national, and cultural barriers to make the gospel known and to gather, serve, and strengthen local churches. Notice Andy doesn't talk about any sending agencies there. Because it's not our job as sending agencies, even though we have it in the title, to send. It's the church's responsibility to raise up and send out missionaries. Did you know that right now there are 7,000 distinct people groups that have their own culture, their own language, and have zero access or very little access to the good news of Jesus Christ? David Platt famously said, they will be born, they will live, and they will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ that's like 3 billion people on this planet are in that category. 7,000 people groups who currently have no access to the gospel whatsoever. We need missionaries raised up to do that work. Listen, it takes a highly trained and a very skilled person whose life will be dedicated to reaching to people like that. That's why I wanted to give you that example of the couple that we visited in November this year, just so you have a visual of how hard it is to do that type of work. Listen, we call those people missionaries, but listen, for the mass, vast majority of this room, you're not a missionary. When you share the good news of Jesus Christ, listen, you're simply this, you're a witness. You're a witness. When when you open up God's word with someone who doesn't understand who God is, you're just being a good neighbor, You're being a witness. These are the things that we're supposed to do. This is just part of being a messenger of the king, which we all are. Listen, don't make the mistake of reading this part of the passage and getting to the the Judea, Samaria, ends of the world part, and think that, oh, that's the job of missionaries. It's not. Listen, Pastor Ken Hughes wrote this, so helpful, it's up on the screen. He wrote this. The command to be Christ's witness is for all true believers in him there can be no burden for distant unreached people without a burden for unreached neighbors church that sinks in my stomach like a lead balloon does it for you like i feel the weight of a statement like that most of my job is involved getting god's word to unreached people groups But every day I drive into my court where I have nine other neighbors. And every day I have to remind myself that my job is to be a witness to my neighbors. That's primarily why I'm in the court that I live in. And I feel that weight on a daily basis. It's a good weight. Listen, we're God's plan for local evangelism and also for the sending out of missionaries. We desperately need people in this church who will commit to the sending out of missionaries. Like a good sender is one who prays like crazy. A good sender is one who finances and encouraging those who are being sent out. And church, I want to implore you to commit to praying for the nations and for this church to send out missionaries. We need it. We need it. Do you know that the fuel for missions is prayer, church? The fuel for missions is Prayer. You might ask me, where do you see that in the text here? Well, it doesn't say that. It's an implication, because if you know the rest of the book of Acts, prayer begets power. Challenge you this week, read in one sitting the entire book of Acts. What you will see is God's people gathered, they pray, and the power of the Holy Spirit does something amazing, and people get healed, and people get saved. That's the pattern that we see over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And that's the pattern that we've seen for the last 2,000 years. Prayer begets power. It comes first. Let me give you an example of this from 250 years ago. I got this from the Baptist Press. It's entitled the Haystack Prayer Meeting. Some of you might be familiar with this. Let me read it to you. It says this. In 1806, there were five college students who had begun to pray twice a week for a mighty move of God to occur. The Second Great Awakening had affected at least one of these five. The college students, Samuel Mills' father, had served as a pastor of a church that had been touched by, powerfully by this awakening. So these five students of Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts, had come together on a hot Saturday afternoon in August, and their intent was to pray. They were going to discuss William Carey's missionary manifesto an inquiry into the obligation of the Christian to use means for the conversion of the heathen. It's a beautiful title and a wonderful book. On their way to the prayer meeting, a major rainstorm began that was filled with wind and lightning and thunder. And they ran to seek shelter and they noticed a large haystack which provided them an opportunity to seek shelter underneath it from the wind and the rain and the lightning. And it was this setting that after discussing Kerry's missionary manifesto, that they went before God in prayer. And Mills proposed that they would go on to a mission in India. While three of them agreed with Mills to focus on reaching Asia, it was Harvey Loomis who believed deeply that we must first focus on reaching America first. We see Acts 1.8 all over this. And after praying, these five men, they sang a hymn together. And it was then that Mills said loudly over the rain and over the wind, we can do this if we will. And that moment changed those men forever. Church, did you know that? Many historians would tell you that all mission organizations in North America can can, can trace their history back to this haystack prayer meeting. And in some way, yes, these men turned the world upside down. And listen, it all began with a prayer meeting on a haystack. Prayer begets power. Young people in the room right now, the sound of my voice, what is stopping you from praying like that? Moms and dads, what is stopping you right now from praying for that? Faithful saints who've been praying for years, What is stopping you right now from praying like that? Listen, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to witness. But it's also the Holy Spirit that equips us to fight for purity. It's the Holy Spirit that guards our hearts and our minds. It's the Holy Spirit that fuels us to be His witnesses. And I want to ask you this morning, could it be that the Lord is preparing you right now in this church to be a faithful servant of the Lord on the mission field? It's the Lord stirring your heart for that. I know in a room this big, there's gotta be one or two of you. We need young people. Moms and dads, don't discount what the Lord might do with a power-filled teenager. Could it be right now that the Lord is preparing your teenager right now for the work of mission's work? And all he needs from you is your approval and your encouragement in that. It's hard, right, parents? we see our kids, making really hard decisions that will affect the rest of their life. And the thought of my own kids going to the mission field, why I won't see them for years on end. It's hard as a parent. Why am I not praying more for that? Listen, in 1806, the greatest outpouring of missionaries North America has ever seen started because a bunch of kids were praying on a haystack. That should be very sobering for us as a church. It should also be very, very, encouraging for us as a church. Listen, some of you have been praying for years now to see your neighbors come to faith or a loved one come to faith. Just hear me. Faithful one, please don't stop praying. It's the faith-filled prayer of the saints that fuels the work of missions I know some of you probably would have loved to go to the mission field, but instead, you're keeping missionaries in your prayers. You're keeping the pastor of this church in your prayers. You're keeping elders. You're keeping congregants in your prayer. Faith 1, don't stop praying because praying, the prayer begets the power. Don't stop praying. Some of you have been, listen, exceedingly, extraordinarily generous in this church to see the city, our neighborhood. Reached with the gospel and to make sure missionaries are financially supported in the work that we do. Listen, I know this is true of this church because I'm a beneficiary of it. And I know Gary and Marina Simbalak, we are other supported missionaries in this church, are recipients. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Please don't stop giving. Don't grow weary of doing good, what well loved ones. Listen, we're all called to be on. Mission. We're called to the mission of being the king's witness to the world. We all have a job to do, and we all have a role to play in that. Listen, so we have a commitment to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with those lost around us. And we have also then a commitment to reach the ends of the world. Church, let's, let's be a church that prays like crazy. Man, I just can't emphasize this is enough. This is the application of a message like this. It's not necessarily go it's pray. I'm pleading with you, pray. Let's be a church that prays like crazy to see the Holy Spirit move in power so we can reach the city, so we can see our country reached, and we can see the ends of the earth reached. Oh, that we would see a haystack moment in our day, church. Let's pray for it. So let's commit to giving generously to see that work happen. Let's commit to sending out missionaries from our midst and the hard task of reaching those who have little or no access to the gospel. Listen, it's our jobs to be the king's witness. That's what we learn from Acts 1, verse 8. One verse in your Bibles. So much application. Listen, my witness is Holy Spirit powered. My witness is Christ commissioned. My witness is God's plan to reach the world. God, would you help us do that? Let's pray together. Father, it's because of your work on the cross, because of your death and resurrection, that we have any hope whatsoever, for that we have any access to the kingdom, that we have any hope of having our sin forgiven because of all of the work that you did, Father, you've been so good to us, for that you would call us your sons and daughter, that right now, Father, you're preparing a room for us in all of eternity. And the reality is, there's people in our circles where that's not a reality. Oh, Father, help us. Father, help us. Father, help us, God, to be, God, the King's witness to the world around us. God, would you fill us with power from the Holy Spirit so that it is so obvious that we serve a King whom we love who died for us. We love you, King Jesus. So help us now, Father, help us now to be a people who prays like crazy, for that we would believe, for that we believe that the words of scripture as we read them in Acts, for they're true in our day, just as much as they were then, for that's a movement of the power of the Holy Spirit amongst us, that will see an outpouring of the Spirit upon people who are now living in darkness, and will get rescued into Kingdom of Light. Father, that's your work, Father. Would you do Would you save? Help us to be a witness of just that. We pray in constantly. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit Hopechurchtw.ca.